Al Jazeera podcast. The Women's World Cup final is set. On Sunday, Spain will face off against England. The tournament has been the hottest ticket in both Australia and New Zealand, the co-hosting nations. Waving flags and banging drums, thousands of cheering fans filled Stadium Australia. Australia, in particular, has been captivated as their team, the Matildas, made it into the semifinals. You can feel it in the atmosphere on the streets of every city, and TV records have been broken. Players like Sam Kerr, Mary Fowler, and Mackenzie Arnold have become household names. When you look at Australian sport, traditionally it's mostly been white sportsmen that have been on the front pages of the newspaper, but you look at these girls representing the face of modern Australia. And they're inspiring younger fans to pick up the game and dream of following their hero's footsteps. I'm so happy that Australia is hosting the World Cup and the Matildas are such a great team and I'm so, so happy for them. The Matildas just missed out on the final with a heartbreaking 3-1 loss to England. But this World Cup has become a showcase for a new generation of stars emerging globally. So, as we head to the tournament finale, who will lead the future of the women's game? I'm Kevin Hurton, in from Aliga Bilal, and this is The Take. Faye Carruthers knows what it's like to see a whole nation rally around their women's team. She witnessed that when the England Lionesses won the European Championship for the first time last year. I've not been privileged enough to be in a bar to watch the Lionesses, Hmm. frustratingly, because I'm sat in a studio hosting instead. I'm a sports broadcaster. I host the Women's World Cup Daily Show on Talk Sport, and I also host the Women's Football Weekly for The Guardian. So, Faye, exciting times for women's football, to say the least? I was actually in London last summer watching England play Spain in the UEFA Euro. There were hundreds of people at the Vinegar Yard down in London Bridge. It was madness. And I can only imagine it's going to be even crazier for this World Cup rematch. Well, it's, it's nothing like it was last summer because of the timings of the games. So, you know, most of England's games have been between 8.30 and midday. UK time in the morning. So it's not quite the same fervour that we saw, if you like, for the European Championships in 2022. But certainly because of the Lionesses' success last year, there are definitely more eyes on the game and excitement around it. Yeah, I I mean, you've been covering women's football for a while now. And until relatively recently, it was sort of a niche beat. And now it's squarely in the spotlight. I wonder if during this tournament or at any point in the recent years, you looked around and said, oh my gosh, we've reached a turning point. This has really changed. Yeah, I mean, I do think in terms of here in England, the game changer was the Lionesses winning Euro 2022 because before that, it had been, as you say, kind of relatively in the background. There's still always been a little bit of sniffiness and snobbiness, if you like, to to Mm. women's football because it's so far behind in its growth, the men's football because of all the reasons we know in terms of the suppression of the women's game. 
Women's football in the 1920s was extremely popular, but the Football Association wanted to actively discourage it. The FA banned women's football in 1921 after they'd drawn crowds up to 55,000. And I think what they wanted to do was protect all the revenue streams for men's football. Now it feels like there's a whole generation of young kids, you know, it doesn't matter whether they're boys or girls, all following the Lioness's success. And there's that cliche that I hate using, but it's so relevant of, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. Mm. And that's certainly what this group of players have managed to achieve that perhaps wasn't the case previously. Do you see that feedback and increase in the amount of fans that you're getting for your podcast, for all of the various media that you do? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, we started the Guardian Women's Football Weekly last summer for the European Championships and absolutely took off. With Australia being so successful in the World Cup, we'll probably see a massive boost in participation and eyes on the game out there as well. And I think we'll see that with a lot of countries that did well in this World Cup, but not just the countries that did well as well. The countries that spoke out over injustices in funding and and various other things during the tournament. You know, if you can't voice your concerns about wrongs in the world on a world stage, where can you do it? Okay, let's pick your brain and talk X's and O's, breaking down this finals matchup of Spain versus England. What are you going to be looking for? Oh, it's quite exciting. And actually, England faced Spain in the quarterfinals of the Euros and were within a whisker of going out of the tournament. So I feel like it's going to be a really tough game, although it's a very different Spain side to the one that we saw in the Euros because 15 players wrote that open letter to their federation raising concerns about the coach Jorge Vilda. Now to an extraordinary story from Spain where 15 players from the women's national team are expected to quit. Spain's Football Federation has rejected demands from a group of players for coach Jorge Vilda to be sacked because his tenure was affecting their emotional and health state. Three of those players have come back in and are part of the team, but we're not quite seeing the same amount of dazzling Champions League winners on display, albeit we've got some fantastic young players coming through the Spain side. Paralueo, for me, has been their standout player. Salma Partiello created history against the Netherlands in the quarterfinals. She became Spain's youngest World Cup scorer and the youngest player ever to score in extra time of a Women's World Cup match. All that's left now is to get her hands on that ultimate prize. She came on and scored the winner in the quarterfinals and opened the scoring when she came on as a substitute in the semifinals as well against Sweden. And she's such a fascinating player to watch. She's 19 years old, which is absolutely terrifying and makes me feel ancient. Um, But she's somebody that that the Lionesses are going to have to watch out for. She's tall, she's athletic, she's quick and she's technically brilliant. And she can get herself into spaces that the Lionesses are going to have to be very wary of her threat down the left-hand side. After the break, a look at some of the other breakout stars of the tournament and the names we'll all be remembering coming out of this World Cup. Frida Kahlo was a master of self-portraits. Her uncompromising oil paintings, always deeply personal, dealt with identity, the human body, and death. It wasn't until after her own death that she was regarded as a revolutionary artist. In hindsight, 
it's easy to see how the two Fridas can be reconciled into one extraordinary woman. I'm Charles Dance. Follow me as I follow the life of Frida Kahlo in Al Jazeera's docudrama series, Hindsight. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You know, as bright as the present looks for women's football, the future is even brighter because you're talking about this new generation of stars that have emerged during this tournament. Can we go through some of the names of the players who have stood out to you? Maybe you could start with Linda Caicedo of Colombia. Oh, do you know what? She was the first name on my lips, Kevin. You Mm. actually took it right out of my mouth because she has been a delight. Now Caicedo. Oh, lovely feet, Caicedo! She's attempting to pull off an unprecedented hat-trick, becoming the first woman to play in the U-17 World Cup, U-20 World Cup, and now the FIFA World Cup within a year. But she almost didn't get to fulfill her World Cup dreams. Just a month after her 15th birthday, Linda Caicedo was in a clinic in Colombia, receiving a medical diagnosis that would threaten to derail her soccer career. Caicedo was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, I've loved watching Colombia play. I think they've really come into their own. You've got the older, more experienced players around a starlet like Linda Caicedo who can just make something out of nothing. And she's so quick, small and wriggly, I think is the best way to describe her. She can she can dip her shoulder and pass defenders really easily. And then, you know, the finishes that, that we've seen from her this tournament have been fantastic. And, you know, we already knew her qualities coming into this, but I feel like she's just announced herself even louder on the world stage. Oh, yeah. Look, we already talked about Sama Parayuelo. Maybe... You could mention Lauren James. You know, I could wax lyrical about Lauren James for as long as you like on this podcast. I don't think you'll have long enough for it. <laughs> it's just such a shame we've, you know, been unable to to watch her flourish further in the tournament after she was sent off in in the last 16 match against Nigeria. This picture will be familiar to you now. That is the England breakout player of the tournament, Lauren James, uh, stamping on another player's back, a Nigerian player, in their last group match. She now has a two-match ban. The yellow card for number seven, why is cancelled? Is that red card for Violet Well, Lauren James has gone from heroin against China to villain tonight. Red card in the round of 16 match against Nigeria. So I feel as if Lauren James will have learned a lesson as well, a, a, a harsh one, albeit. But let's talk about the positive stuff with Lauren James first and foremost, and that is her strength, her tactical awareness, her almost unconventional style in terms of, I'm just going to try this, I'm going to try it, and I'm going to keep trying it. Oh, and then I've scored. She's got a supreme confidence in herself that comes across on the football pitch. Okay, Faye, I have a list of players I'd love to ask you about, but I do (laughs) want to transition from, we talked about the, the stars of the future. Maybe we can talk about some of the stars from the past. You're going into the tournament, the biggest headlines focused on the established names who were playing in their final tournament. You got Marta from Brazil, Megan Rapinoe from the defending champs, the U.S., and then there's Christine Sinclair from Canada. 
how do you think we'll look back and define this era of women's footballers? Uh, iconic. Um, you know, these are big names who rallied against federations, who spoke up for women, who announced themselves and their, you know, I don't care what anybody else thinks attitude and and gave a generation of footballers coming through the confidence to go and do the same and a pathway to do the same. So they'll go down in history as as icons of the women's game for mm. sure. I'm going to I'm going to miss this sounds like a really I'm not a person who wears lipstick, but I'm going to miss Marta's red lipstick, <laughs> you know. <laughs> as soon as she steps onto the pitch, you know, you just know she's got right there you go, she's got her wall paint on, she's ready. Before her side was knocked out, Marta reflected on the changes she's seen after 23 years and six World Cups with the Brazilian team. Do you know what's cool? When I started playing, I didn't have an idol, a female idol. You guys didn't show any female games. How was I supposed to see other players? How was I supposed to understand that I could arrive at a national team and become a reference? Today, when we go out on the street, people stop. The parents stop and say, oh, my daughter loves you. She wants to be just like you. And it's not just Marta. It's other athletes as well. So today, we have our own references. Another longtime player who has seen and pushed for change is Megan Rapino of the U.S., I know that Megan Rapinoe splits opinion, but you have to look at Megan Rapinoe as the Rapinoe on the pitch in terms of what she can do from set pieces and the goals that she can score from distance and range and various other ways that she implements her herself on the pitch. Megan's calm head and skill from the spot is something she's become synonymous with. La orden de la cueva, Rapino. Pino, we obviously didn't see that in this World Cup. But what she's done off the field is, you know, really important. A champion protecting the rights of fellow LGBTQI plus Americans. A leader on the U.S. women's soccer national team in their successful fight for equal pay. And then you look at Christine Sinclair, who's just, you know, won so much in, in her career and will also be a huge huge miss. FIFA recognized the best in the soccer world, beginning with the person who has scored more international goals than anyone else. Sinclair wide open. Is this it? It is! With goal number 185. But this is football, isn't it? You know, we see these fantastic players retire all the time. It just feels like this was the first batch, first in many, I would say of when the women's game kind of took off and lit. Even though there are other iconic names that you obviously would put in that list. Yeah, you see these youngsters are always crediting them. They, are, they know they're standing on their shoulders and it's, it's great to see. I always feel as if the federations remind them of that. And it's really important that they do. Don't forget where you've come from. Don't forget the reason that you are where you are. It's because these people have, you know, forged this path when it was much more difficult than it is now. It's not as difficult now because they helped push it forward. And I think many young footballers completely understand that. And I think they need to continue to be reminded about it because it will be very easy when, you know, all the commercialization of the, of the game, when, you know, the money is flowing and they're on 
you know, iconic magazine covers to, to forget how they got there in the first place. And yes, they got there through their own hard work, but they also got there through the hard work of the people before them. Was there a particular moment that stood out to you as a changing of the guard moment, the next generation stepping up into its own? The iconic moment that stood out to me was actually when Marta took her bow and was clearly visibly upset, had me upset as well. Jamaica, the tiny, tiny Caribbean island in only their second Women's World Cup, who hadn't ever won a game at this level until Saturday, have knocked out the mighty Marta and Brazil. Jamaica's Bunny Shaw, who plays for Manchester City, went over to her and gave her an enormous hug and there was that recognition of what somebody has done in the game and passing on the baton. You know, and Bunny Shaw's not, you know, one of the young players on the world stage. She's established already, but Jamaica themselves, in terms of what they had done in the World Cup, it felt like there was almost a baton passing from country to country. Like, you, you just sit there and think, yeah, okay, this is why and how women's football has developed because now it's not just the same old, same old countries getting through. You know, other people have raised their game and the gap is is getting smaller. And that's really vital. And, and, and nothing for me stood out more than that hug between Bunny Shaw and Marta. So this World Cup has been just a smashing success in terms of attendance, viewership, general excitement for the game. What needs to happen to make sure that on Monday you don't lose this momentum and that this isn't just a every four or every two year sport? This is a slight concern for me, actually, because I feel as if certainly speaking from a UK point of view, in England, we were lucky enough to have the Euros last year because of the pandemic. It, it pushed it back a year, which means that we had the momentum going into the World Cup exactly a year afterwards, which I think was really vital. In order to push that forward and continue that, we have to keep writing headlines. We have a responsibility as journalists to not just pop up and talk about it every now and again, to keep our eye on the stories that are happening in the women's game, to actually make an effort to be covering you know, qualifiers, World Cup qualifiers, European qualifiers, domestic leagues, etc. Because there are so many fascinating stories out there, but you only get to hear about the fascinating stories when the journalists write about them mm. or you see it on television when the broadcast deals are, are done. So we have as much of a responsibility as the game itself does to make sure that we're highlighting all the amazing and, you know, appalling things that go on within the women's game because I think that's equally as important. We've seen so many countries come out in criticism of their federations for a lack of resources, bullying, sexual misconduct claims and various other things. Just because the World Cup party has disappeared, it doesn't mean that that stage should disappear as well. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Miranda Lynn and David Enders with Khalid Sultan, Amy Walters, Chloe K. Lee, Sonia Baguette, Ashish Malhotra, Zaina Badr, Faranisa Kampana, and me, Kevin Hurton, in for Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer. And Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back 